Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, Senator Jeff Merkley, who was on this show earlier this week, condemning the secret police, the federal police who are uh, not being identified. He tweeted at Trump, get your DHS lackeys and uninvited paramilitary actions out of my state. Our communities are not a stage for your twisted re-election campaign. Yeah, don't you think? On the line with us is Aaron Mesh. Aaron is the news editor at Willamette Week, which is one of our local weekly newspapers that just does a great job of covering local politics. Wweek.com is the website. Aaron's uh, Twitter handle is Aaron Mesh. It is spelled just like it sounds. Uh, Willamette Week is Wweek. Aaron, welcome to the program. Give us a summary here of what's going on. When did this start? How is it happening? And then we can get into, you know, how the governor's responding to it and our congressional delegation and whatnot. My understanding is this started on June 26th when the president issued an executive order protecting federal monuments and buildings. It's a response in short, you know, as you recall, he had this doomy speech at Mount Rushmore and, uh, and part of that was this concept that somehow leftists were desecrating all of our nation's sacred history. Well, the practical result of that order was that DHS, the Homeland Security, and other federal officers were deployed into several cities that the president decided, along with Homeland Security and its acting director, Chad Wolf, decided these cities were particular security risks. For years, the Department of Homeland Security has looked at property destruction by anti-fascists and other left-wing activists as being a form of domestic terrorism. And this provided an opportunity, this particular moment in history and this executive order, for those federal officials to act on those beliefs. And so they deployed officers, which look a lot like federal troops, but I think technically are still law enforcement officers, into three American cities that I know of. And those cities are Washington, D.C., Seattle, and Portland. Those officers arrived in Portland. The latest they arrived on July 2nd. By July 11, they had used a what's known as a less lethal munition to shoot an unarmed protester in the head. He went to the hospital and had facial reconstructive surgery. That gets us more or less up to date, although the director of Homeland Security also flew into Portland yesterday to show off the degree to which they are cracking down on demonstrations in this city. They kidnapped, drive-by kidnapping of 
talking about the unmarked vehicles. Yeah, Mr. Pettibone. To be clear, Tom, it was broken by OPB last night. Oregon Public Broadcasting broke the story. So for several days, it appears that federal agents have been arresting protesters using unmarked vans. In other words, vehicles that look like an Amazon delivery van or just your mom's minivan. They've been driving around downtown Portland, not just arresting people who are engaged in crimes, but arresting anyone who's dressed up like a protester, which means wearing what's known as a black block outfit, dressed head to toe in black, looks a little bit like the 1940s movie Ninja. If you're dressed like that, they will arrest you on site. That's pretty obviously extrajudicial and pretty obviously illegal. But again, it appears that the president is experimenting on Portland to decide what it is that he can and cannot get away with. This is coming to Detroit and Chicago and Minneapolis and and Miami. And if he goes federal with this, basically his private police force are now the supreme police of the land. You have just created the SS. It does look a lot like fascism, Tom. Yeah, I can't argue with that. We're talking with Aaron Mesh, the news editor at Willamette Week, wweek.com. Aaron, I don't know if you interviewed or somebody for the paper interviewed Governor Kate Brown, the governor of our state. And uh, we've talked with both uh, Senators Wyden and both of our senators right here on this program. What does the governor have to say about this? The governor says that this is a election year ploy or a stunt by the president. And I don't think that she's wrong about that, by the way. Uh, so mm-hmm. she points to the fact that as the president has issued this executive order and deployed these officers into Portland and a couple of other cities, that he is essentially trying to leverage the left-wing activists of Portland and a crackdown on them into gaining uh, law and order cred or looking like a tough guy to undecided voters. As you know, he's down by 9 to 11 points in the polls to Joe Biden. And one of the few things he's identified as a potentially winning issue for him is the idea that there are these extremist, violent cities that are run by liberals. And that if he can show that he's bringing law and order to those cities, it might boost him with, A, his base, and B, with undecided voters. So the governor issued a statement yesterday saying uh, that the president is trying to win votes in Iowa and, and Ohio by invading Oregon. And I don't think that's an inaccurate assessment. I think that's an, that's an accurate portrayal of what's currently happening, is that there is uh, what might be an unconstitutional uh, practice taking place in the streets of Portland in an effort to win over uh, soccer moms in Minnesota. Our mayor, Ted Wheeler, has objected to this. Um, several members of our city council have spoken out loudly What are they all saying and what power might either the city officials who are barred by city policy from using these munitions that, you know, as you pointed out, the federal officers shot this young man in the face and he's skull fracture and fractured bones in his face. What authority does the state or the local government have to do anything about this? I mean, I don't think they have much other than moral leverage, right? Like the president has not yet pulled in the 1807, is it in the Insurgency Act? What is the yeah. the Insurrection? I think it's the Insurrection Act. Yeah, I don't, he does I have, don't have and I think, I think he's on the verge of, I think he's on the verge of doing so. He does, in fact, have the right to send in federal troops. So, In 1992, those troops were sent into Los Angeles after the Rodney King riots. It is possible for the federal government to send in troops into areas that are experiencing civil unrest. 
it's frankly pretty arguable. And I think this is really important. It's very debatable whether Portland's experiencing any significant civil unrest. Much of the property destruction is taking place inside about four square blocks of downtown. This is not a city that is burning. It is in which neighborhoods are being terrorized. It's a peaceful, normal American city in which a small group of activists are expressing their free speech and sometimes smashing things or more often spraying some graffiti. To take that spraying of graffiti and claim that it requires the deployment of federal police to pacify is a very hard argument to make. So he does have that authority. Uh, the, the main thing that Governor Brown and the, and the Portland mayor can do is continue to remind people that he's responding with an AK-47 to an anthill. Yeah, it's just disproportionate, very disproportionate. Aaron Mesh, the news editor of Willamette Week. If you want to know what's going on in this area, check out WWeek.com. Thank you, Aaron. My pleasure. My pleasure, too. And you can tweet Aaron at Aaron Mesh. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Hartman here with you. Uh, Robbie in Portland. Hey, Robbie, what's up? I just wanted to bring up the Portland protests. I'm glad that Mm -hmm. you had Aaron Mesh on there. That was good. I wanted to bring in a little perspective of what I've been seeing. The federal marshals started coming out on July 4th-ish. It was when I saw them. They started doing these uh, abductions, and it's a form of intimidation, ultimately, is what they're doing. Like if they abduct you, they'd photograph you, they fingerprint you, and then they let you go by way of saying, we now know who you are, that kind of thing. Is that what you're talking about? Or just just the fact that other people see people getting abducted? Were you down there? Did you see it, Robbie? I got photographed last night, but I wasn't detained. I was in right when I would uh, left. Basically, I got into my vehicle and um, this unmarked SUV pulled up right next to us. And at first I knew it was, a, you know, some type of a government vehicle. And I was pretty scared at first. I thought they were going to pop out of the, the car, their SUV. But then the driver just I saw him had a camera and he took a couple pictures of me and my friend in the car. But that's been reported to have happened when people have been leaving these gatherings. And so that's a form that they'll use because, you know, now it's like, you know, okay, they they clearly took a picture of me and in the vehicle that I was, you know, leaving in last night or this morning. So we didn't get detained, but ultimately there has been people that they were walking down the street and then, uh, you know, the van scoops them up and then they were jaywalking is why they got detained and interrogated and stuff. And then what happens is that they're asked questions. I think they've been trying to go through people's phones, look up messages and stuff. And the police are kind of following. So basically now the Portland police are kind of following what this federal entity is now doing. And so they've kind of switched gears and they're doing this in a way to create fear amongst us because now we don't want to be, you know, now we're, we're leaving and they're taking pictures of us leaving and they're they're doing it ultimately to create this fear network to try to turn us down. But now is more time than the efforts. If everybody steps up and is willing to get pictured by us, you know, it's a little bit safer for all of us. But right now, yeah, there are they are definitely cracking down on Portland in this way right now. Is it and, um, your sense that Portland protesters are cowed by this or are feeling like we'll be back tomorrow? 
We're totally going to be back. I'm going to be back tonight. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah. what's changed a bit so far is it seems like the federal police are staying downtown. There's been different groups. Last night, there was three different actions, one in, that started in the north, one that was in the northeast, and then the downtown action, which is at the Justice Center. Basically, the two on the northeast side, they ended up on Burnside, which is at a police precinct, which didn't have federal police, to my knowledge. But that was where I got photographed at. So I, I don't really know who was in that. And actually, I have a list of vehicles. You know, there's a gold SUV with California license plates. There's a black mm-hmm. Chrysler with Washington license plates, a silver SUV with California license plates, and then two unmarked black, white USVs and a red one that I saw last night. They're approaching this differently than how they had been before. And so uh, they, I, I ultimately, I think it's just to kind of create this fear network to try to turn down the numbers, but hopefully we'll keep it strong. Makes sense. Yeah. Thank you, Robbie. Good to hear from you. Keep us up to date. Jim in Willow Springs, Missouri. Hey, Jim, what's up? I'd like people to know that the Declaration of Independence has all these behaviors of George III that the revolutionaries were complaining about, and they should look at that, read it, and look at what Trump is doing. And the, the comparison yeah. between Trump's behavior and George III is really incredible. Yeah, Some of this it's... is online so people can find out. Yeah, the, the, if there was ever a time to read the Declaration of Independence, it's right now. But the simple reality is that we created this country out of fighting back against that kind of oppression, or they created this country fighting back against that. And we are either going to hold to those values, or at least the expression of those values, or we're going to go down this fascist road. I'm very people, concerned. People need to know there's... their rights when they're out protesting and, and let everybody else know how terrible it is that what's going on and get out in the streets. More people that get out there and adhere to their rights the better off we are. Thanks for yeah, all you do. There you go. Thank you, Jim. Yes. Peacefully protesting. The right of the people peaceably to assemble and petition their government for redress and grievance. I'm pretty sure that's word for word in the First Amendment. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, what's up? I'm giving a big shout-out and a big pat on the back and admiration to Portland in general. And I have a very odd comparison between the oligarch and the capitalist forces that brought down Bernie Sanders because they fear socialized democracy. And the same, I believe, the same oligarch capitalists that simply do not want Portland, Oregon to succeed, okay? Because Bernie speaks of progressive socialized politics they had to get rid of him. They did two elections in a row. And I maintain that Portland, in an odd way, cleverly, is deliberately targeted and provoked into disturbances so that the national picture of what Portland is about is always these dust-ups in the street, and they miss the essence of what the city is about, which is people self-governing, making kind of like the Green New Deal. That's what I look at Portland like. They're self-governing into something that is the way they want a better way to be. It's very, very interesting. It's it's not impossible, Robin. You know, I don't think it's impossible at all. You know, whether it's right-wingers who are coming in and provoking things in Portland or whether it's, you know, people on the left, like, or the so-called left, like the Revolutionary Communist Party that disrupted New York and took down the Occupy movement so terribly. 
Can I compare an international footprint to the same concept? I believe our CIA steps all over Central South American fledgling socialized democracies, Cuba, and stuff like that. So we export the same thing, I think, to dealing with Portland. Yeah, we have a long history uh, of doing this. We we absolutely have a long history of doing it. Robin, I can't disagree with you. Greg in Far Texas. Hey, Greg, what's up? I don't know if anybody knows. Maybe it's just me. But this man is slowly... And surely showing symptoms, and I know it's not possible, but like I said, it's maybe me, of being a dictator, or so to speak, not very transparent. I think this is the biggest concern that Americans have uh, outside of dying of coronavirus, is that Donald Trump, right in front of our eyes, is morphing not only himself and not only the administration around him. He's now had three years to surround himself rather than with semi-competent fascists like Jeff Sessions, fully competent you know, fascists. Right. You know, he's, he's surrounding himself with these people and he's moving in this direction. And what we're seeing is exactly what Viktor Orban did in Hungary. And it's very, very troubling. We're seeing what Duterte did in the Philippines. We're seeing what Duda is doing right now in, in Poland. We're seeing what Modi is doing right now in India. It was done quite some time ago in a number of other countries. But yeah, Greg, I cannot disagree with that at all. Greg, thanks for the call. Laura in Chicago. Hey, Laura, what's up? First of all, I want to ask everybody that's listening to please pray for Ruth Bader Ginsburg because she's announced yes. that she has a recurrence of her cancer. So that's if we correct. all send her prayers of healing, that would be great. Yes. And then the second thing is last week, the House Armed Service Committee voted to put roadblocks in front of the withdrawal of our troops from Afghanistan. And I wanted to know if you knew what it was about. I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm not a close observer of day-to-day activity in Congress. And, um, no problem. Anyhow, Thanks. thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Kurt in Royal Oak, Michigan. It says you want to disagree with me, Kurt. What's up? Well, not disagree. Actually, a comment. I'd like to know why. You, know, you had a guest on but one of the calls was Robbie, and then Aaron Mesh, I believe his name was, and he stated statements about Portland and why the protesters are able to go ahead and protest. That's fine. But protesting comes in a peaceful manner, not with headgear and sticks and guns and everything else. Well, people are wearing headgear, I would think, Kurt, because we've had federal officers fire into the face of a man and shatter the well, bones was, in his face. And I'm guessing, Kurt, if that, that is, happened to you, you would be singing a, a somewhat different song. Also, if you're getting your news from Fox News, you just need to know that no, they've I'm, been playing, I'm not sure if they're still doing it this week, but they've been playing footage that's years old well, and calling it things like the like George Floyd protests. I'm watching your show. I'm not a Fox watcher, okay? Okay. I'm saying that the people of of America are watching. We have eyes on them watching what they're doing. It's all over the news. It's not on Fox. It's all over that they're marching down and there's graffiti. And your guest, Aaron Bash, claims, oh, it's okay to do that. What's the big deal? Well, listen, breaking windows and doing stuff like that and intimidation is going to gather the police. And, you know, you can march down the streets. And by the way, Black Lives Matter. And they've arrested 12 people for doing those things. And if somebody if somebody's defacing buildings or breaking windows, then they should be arrested. I don't disagree, Kurt. But the fact of the matter is that you've got police in this city and it's happening around the country who are interested in having riots. And it's being incited. A lot of these cops are watching Fox News. If you're not, Kurt, good on you. But although I'd encourage you to actually check it out and see what's going on over there. But this is a concerted, frankly, on both sides. 
to some extent, but mostly the police. What you're seeing is an effort to intimidate and to create basically chaos. The mayor of this town is saying, we've got this under control. And Trump is sending federal police in here. This is just wrong. This is not local control. This is not the state's rights that Republicans love to talk about. I would add that our mayor, who has asked these federal troops to leave, is also the police commissioner in this town. So it's like, really? Okay, Patrick in San Diego. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind? Good morning, Tom. I'm sure you remember about a year and a half or so ago, there was a big ruckus about military charter flights landing in Stansted, England, and they were transporting them to their golf club in Scotland. Well, about two days before the bars shut down here because of the coronavirus, I met an active-duty military man. He said he just moved his family here from San Bernardino. I said, oh, I used to live in Fontana. I worked at Kaiser School. And he says, oh, are you from there originally? I said, no, I was born and raised in Ireland. And he said, oh, my God. He says, beautiful country. On my last tour to Germany, we stopped in Dublin, Ireland on a commercial flight. And they transported us by limo vans and buses to guess whose golf club 100 miles away. They took him to Trump's golf course? Yes. Active duty military just being deployed to Europe on the way to their deployment, they stopped at Trump's golf course? Yes, on commercial airliners, not military charters like they did in Scotland. Wow. Patrick, if you can, uh, I mean, I guess if this was a chance meeting in a bar, number one, it may not be true, but number two, it's going to be hard to track that guy down and connect him with any kind of reporter. Thank you, Patrick. Thanks for the call. Kathleen in Oregon City, Oregon. Hey, Kathleen, what's up? Oh, hi, Tom. I have been following the anarchists that have been destroying downtown Portland. I'm in complete support of the poor businesses that are trying to have their business going during covid And I'm just concerned that those anarchists, where are they coming from? Who's paying them? Are these guys here to assist so that it'll be a political move to completely make martial law so nobody can demonstrate in the United States? Yeah, if you're, I would just say to anybody in Portland, if you're dressing all in black and you're going downtown and you're destroying property, you are bringing fascism to the United States. You may think that you're protesting something noble or that you're striking a blow for anarchy. You are empowering a fascist response. I agree. And then the other thing, about a week ago, on either KGW or KOIN, when I go online to read their news, they said that all the arrested protesters were released. This was about a week ago, and charges mm-hmm. were dropped. What's with that? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the details of that. The flip side of this, though, you know, I, I was just saying, if you're dressing in black and coming down and, and destroying property, worse things are going to happen to our country. The flip side of that, though, is if you're dressing like a normal person and you're showing up for protests in downtown Portland, then you're not destroying property. You should have absolutely every right to do that without the police in your face with a camera or the police in your face with pepper sprays or batons or without being kidnapped and spirited away. Kathleen, thank you for the call. And we need to make that distinction. Sala in Seattle. Hey, Sala, what's up? So as a regular citizen walking down the street in downtown Portland, how do I know that the undercover DHS person is not just a regular militia group that's taking people off the street and interrogating well, and people or doing whatever? 
In fact, this uh, one fellow who was snatched, who uh, Oregon Public Broadcasting did an extensive program about this morning, his first thought was that it might have been Boogaloo Boys or Three Percenters or Proud Boys or whatever who were kidnapping him rather than cops. You just don't know. And that's, uh, you you know. So what's to prevent them from doing that? Because there are a lot of missing persons, period. I mean, what? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the scary part. How do we know that these guys aren't going to just start doing whatever they want? That's all I wanted to say. Thank you, Selma. I'll have to treat it as a rhetorical question because I don't have a specific answer for it. Thanks. Tim in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Hey, Tim, what's up? Good morning, Mr. Tom. I've got a real quick question for you. Could you speak for just a few minutes regarding whether the supremacy clause outweighs what we consider rights of self-defense as we the people. Thank That's you. a good question, Tim. And I, you know, I, earlier I had a caller saying, well, couldn't uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, for example, the mayor of Atlanta, just ignore or defy Governor Kemp's uh, order that a city may not require people to wear masks? And I said, you know, I doubt it because of the Georgia Constitution's equivalent of the Federal Supremacy Clause, which says basically that state laws supersede or overrule local laws. But I had a lawyer call up and say, you know, that ain't the case. We've won some of these cases and there are ways you can fight back. And I need to learn more about that, frankly. You know, I'm familiar with some of those cases, but only peripherally. And I need to learn more before I can give you an intelligent answer, Tim. But I think that your suggestion that maybe you grounded in the right of self-defense is a good one. Although I'm not sure that a city can make that argument or a police force or a mayor. You know, that would more be an individual one. But yeah, Barbara in Las Vegas. Hey, Barbara, what's on your mind? You were talking about the brown shirts and ice, and I wanted to remind everyone to read It Can't Happen Here by Sinclair Lewis. Mm. If you haven't read it or reread it, because it's a scary book. Yeah, uh, Buzz Winthrop was the newspaper publisher, and Corpos, the people who were in favor of corporate rule, those were the partisans who were in favor of the president. I forget the president's name in that story. The rise of populism and basically right-wing fascism can do in a country. Sinclair Lewis wrote that book back in the 1920s. He was obviously looking at what was going on in Europe and I believe it was the 1920s. Here we are. Karen in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Hey, Karen, what's on your mind today? Chomsky heard an interview with him. I think it was on Democracy Now!, and he was asked the question, and this is from a political scientist standpoint, what was the greatest threat to American democracy? His answer was the Republican Party. <laughs> and uh, I was he's kind right. of shocked. With, without hesitation, he answered. I'm thinking he's going to say China, Russia, uh, as a politi- uh, an armchair political scientist, and he just, without hesitation, states the Republican Party. I just thought I'd throw that in there as an interesting, uh, an interesting comment. Yeah, yeah. Well, you you did, and it is, and I can't disagree with that, Karen. Karen, thank you very much. Randy in Clarksville, Texas. Hey, Randy, what's up? If the Republicans can vote to repeal Obamacare thirty times or better. When they don't have the votes, why can't the Democrats vote a second time on impeachment when all they have is less than a handful of votes that they need to peel away? 
Uh, they could. Jerry Nadler is actually holding hearings right now in the Judiciary Committee. I'm, I'm not sure if it's literally this moment, but he has been holding hearings into other possible crimes by Donald Trump. To the best of my knowledge, I don't have inside information from anybody inside the Democratic Party, but I do from some of the consultants who work in those circles in Washington, D.C., that there is a big debate inside the Democratic Party about the wisdom of impeaching Trump again. And the for impeaching him argument goes something like, A, we've got to defend the rule of law in America. B, we've got to establish a precedent for future situations. C, we need to you know, really make it clear what his crimes are, whether we can get him impeached in the Senate, removed from office in the Senate or not. The con argument, the don't impeach him argument, it basically goes like this. If the Democrats try to impeach Donald Trump again, right now there's a lot of Republicans who are not fans of Trump, but they don't hate Trump. But because they are not fans of his, they probably won't show up to vote in the fall. And therefore, because of that, Joe Biden has a much greater chance of winning. If you can piss those people off enough, if you can irritate them, if you can offend them by trying again to impeach Donald Trump, then they will show up to vote. And that makes Trump's reelection more likely. And there's actually some polling that indicates that that's the case, polling among Republicans, you know, registered voters, but not likely to vote in this election because they don't like Trump. It's sort of like, you know, okay, there's a snake in the room, you know, do we grab it? If we grab it, it might bite us. But if we don't grab it, it might bite us. It's a, it's a really tough problem. Randy, thank you for the call. Tom Hartman here with you. A couple of other things that I just wanted to touch on very quickly, and then I'll pick up your phone calls. You know, Mark Warner was the one who tried to bring this bill to the floor several times, saying that essentially if a campaign gets help, including non-financial help, from a foreign government, they have committed a crime. So Senator Mark Warner, the Democrat from Virginia, put that into, first of all, proposed it as a standalone piece of legislation, and Senator Marsha Blackburn repeatedly killed it. She's from Tennessee, the Tennessee Republican. She blocked it over and over and over again, so it never made its way out of committee, never made its way to the floor. So then Elizabeth Warren proposed that this be attached to the Defense Appropriation Act, and Marco Rubio said, no, we're going to take it out. So here we are, uh, number one. Number two, we were talking about the impact of wearing masks. And I pointed out that if, if you're wearing a mask and you don't have COVID, and you're talking to somebody who does have COVID who is not wearing a mask, you have reduced the probability of transmission by about 30%. Odds are 70% chance you're gonna get it from them because they're not wearing a mask. On the other hand, if a person is wearing a mask and has COVID, and you're wearing a mask and do not have COVID, the odds of you're getting COVID from that person, instead of being 70% or only one and a half percent, which brings us to the protests. It's been a month since the very first demonstrations, the Black Lives Matter and, and you know, pushing back on police violence and the murder of George Floyd. It's been about a month since those protests. And if they were mass events spreading virus, you would expect it to be showing up now. It's not. Instead, what we're seeing are explosions of virus that seem to follow the holiday of Memorial Day three weeks ago. 
more or less. And frankly, I think, you know, this is the 4th of July weekend coming up. I, I, you know, I think that two, three weeks down the road from now, you're going to see another pop. But what about those demonstrations? All those people out in the streets, they were literally in 140 cities and count. Well, actually, they were in more than that. But they have now examined health officials in 140 cities and counties have been polled, basically. Find out, you know, what's going on here. And what they're finding is that they can't. Uh, one of the uh, researchers who worked on this, he said, we are not aware of any place where there's been a major cluster tied to protests. We've tied more cases to a single restaurant in East Lansing, Michigan in the last week than we have to every protest in the country. What's the difference? In the protest, people were wearing masks. I mean, pretty religiously. And at that restaurant in East Lansing, Michigan, nobody was wearing a mask. Ta-da! There you go. Donald Trump ends his extra racist month with a vow to protect traitors. He has uh, had the, the Department of Homeland Security create a new task force to protect monuments dedicated to traitors. Honest to God, he created a task force inside the Department of Homeland Security. It's called the Protecting America Communities Task Force, PACT, PACT. And its job is to protect monuments dedicated to traitors to the United States of America. Let that sink in. The acting secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, said this, quote, the Department of Homeland Security is answering the president's call to use our law enforcement personnel across the country to protect our historic landmarks. We won't stand idly by while violent anarchists and rioters seek not only to vandalize and destroy the symbols of our nation, but to disrupt law and order and sow chaos in our communities. Really? A statue of a general who fought a war against the United States and killed American soldiers and killed American civilians is a symbol of our nation? What am I missing here? Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? I think they should ban all statues. I think that they're ridiculous. Unless they're art, you know, like the Statue of Liberty or allegorical or something. But anyway... The biggest problem with the uh, police reform that we need is police need to reside in the communities where they work. And one way to deal with it is the way the firefighters do, and it's to provide housing within the precinct where they live and work and buy at the same stores as the people they work for. And living together, they can sort out the uh, so-called bad apples as well. I think there should be some sort of pilot program to provide money for turning precincts into living quarters. What do you think That's an interesting idea. I I suspect, though, that, yeah, I mean, it's a considerable inconvenience to firefighters to have to do that. The upside is that they work, I I realize it varies from city to city all around the country, county, state, and everything else, but, you know, sometimes they work a week on, a week off, or, you know, three days on, four days off, or two days on, five, whatever it is, because they're, you know, basically on duty 24 hours a day because there might be a fire. But firefighters, the number of people who are firefighters is a much smaller number than the number who are police. So there may be some challenges there. I'm I'm not sure, Bill. Well, maybe they should be provided some sort of supplemental income to be able to afford to live in the communities where they serve. I think it's critical that they are familiar with the people that they are working with. And I think Yeah, I agree with you on that, Bill. I, I absolutely do. And I think having cops police communities where they live is, is an essential first step. 
Brian in Tacoma, listening on KBCS. Hey, Brian, what's up? Hi, thanks for taking the call. Um, in regards to the Russia, you know, Taliban bounty business, I just am frustrated that most people are missing the most important question so far or now, which is not what did he know and when did he know it. The point is he knows now. If you follow the what did he know and when did he know it uh, to its logical conclusion, the point is what did he know and when did he know it? Because if he found out, and, and after he found out, didn't do the right things, then we're saying that's a problem. Well, we know. He knows, for at least. I mean, he knows longer. But he knows at least, publicly, for 96 hours. And what has he done with that time? He's called it a hoax. He's lied about it. He said he didn't know. He's told seven different stories and called it a hoax. So the point is, he knows now. Right. You know? And he has yet to say if a foreign power... I mean, he can even say it in the abstract. He doesn't have to take on his beloved President Putin, uh, you know, on its face. He could simply say, if a foreign government is uh, paying to kill American soldiers, I'm opposed to that. He hasn't said that. Exactly. And he knows now. We know he knows. Right. We see him knowing. Right. We see him knowing. And he yeah. hasn't done anything. So he's committing yeah. the same crime he's trying to get away with. In front of us. I'm with Again. you, Brian. I'm with you. Again. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Art in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Art, what's up? Thanks for listening to X-Ray FM. The memorial, the Robert Gold Shaw Memorial in Boston, that was the famous poem that Robert Lowell wrote in 1964. It was published. That The, the title of that poem was For the Union Dead. That was the title of one of his collections as well. That's one of my favorite poems. I think it's a great antidote to all the Confederate statues. It's it's a good reread, a good revisit, et cetera, et cetera. One other okay, poem. Okay, I'm making a note. I'll, I'll check it out when we get off the air. Yeah, I mean, that's one down. of his most famous poems, one of his signature poems. Uh, the other poem that I thought was really timely that was actually read after Trump was inaugurated, and it was penned, I think, two years before that, but it was by Warson Shire. It's called What They Did Yesterday Afternoon. Anyway, that's a, that's a beautiful poem. I think it, it also, uh, you know, we need healing, Tom, and that this is what, you know, great literature, great poetry, great art, this is what it does. This other business with the Confederate statues, it's just, it's, it's absolute ridiculousness. Okay, thank you, Tom. Except it's not ridiculousness, Jeff. I mean, this, this is a movement that's not just trying to reinvent the history of the Civil War, but is trying to perpetuate white supremacy. I mean, Understood, that's really the Tom. bottom line here. Understood. Yeah. And yeah. Hickenlooper has the best chance of taking down Gardner. I think he's a, what can you say? He's, a, he's milk toast, but he's going he's gonna to take down Gardner, and, and that's what we need. Okay, take care. Yeah, and he's, a, and he's a known name. And, you know, hope springs eternal. You know, the, the entire Democratic Party is moving more progressive. Hopefully Hickenlooper is too. Jeff, thank you. Thank you for the call. And I'll check out those poems uh, for the Union Dead and what they did yesterday afternoon when I get off the air. Hey, we're putting together a series of American history books. It started with a hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. Then we had the hidden history of the Supreme Court, the betrayal of America. Then the hidden history of the Republican war on voting. 
Coming out soon is the hidden history of monopolies, how big business destroyed the American dream. And then next spring, it's going to be the hidden history of oligarchy and tyranny. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting. But Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Tom Arvin here with you, uh, Ronald in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Hey, Ronald, what's up? First, I would like to thank you for your show. I had an interesting conversation yesterday with a friend of mine that's a strong Democrat, and it has to do with religion. I'm not going to get into what one, but friends of this person who are well-educated people firmly believe that the Democrats want us to get the vaccine for COVID, but that there's going to be a chip in every vaccine shot. I know. There's uh, a friend of mine who's a newspaper publisher sent me a link this morning to this movie over that's on Facebook. It's it's circulating through all the right wing Facebook sites. And that's where these guys are getting it because Zuckerberg will not put a stop to this kind of stuff. And it's insanity. It's just insanity. But probably even worse, though, Ronald, is that the Food and Drug Administration today and under the supervision of one of Donald Trump's toadies, 
said that we are so committed to getting a vaccine out in October so that Donald Trump can claim victory over the virus on November 3rd, that we will accept a vaccine that's only 50% effective, which oh, is crazy. Wonderful. I mean, you know, the polio vaccine is 98% effective. Oh, man. It's just pathetic yeah. what's going on. And it's it's pathetic a, it's a friggin' scam. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it is, it is, yeah, it's absolutely nuts. And the problem is that you've got, I lay most of this at the feet of Facebook. You've got a major social media network that has not taken this stuff seriously for years. And so it's festered and grown and, and, you know, it's made Mark Zuckerberg billions and it made Donald Trump president. But I don't see either of those two things as any kind of social good. Ronald, I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Gabe in Wilmington, North Carolina. Hey, Gabe, what's on your mind today? Yeah, hi there. I just wanted to make a, a quick little comment regarding the uh, Confederate statues, um, mm-hmm. regarding them being placed into museums. And I read that some museums, they want them removed from there. And personally, I think, you know, I don't stand for the statues at all. But in my opinion, it's kind of like a Jim. It's like taking Jim Crow and anti-African-American merchandise out of museums, out of black museums. I mean, yeah, the message is terrible and it's and it's bad. There's a huge difference, Gabe. If you go to the National Museum of African American History, you're going to see Jim Crow memorabilia, and you're going to see, you know, the the the, the people being beaten and and the racists justifying that. That's a way of educating people about the horrors of slavery and then and then you know legal segregation for a century in this country. A statue of a traitorous general is the glorification of white supremacy and white racism, period, full stop. And frankly, I don't think that even belongs in our museums. If somebody wants to put together a museum diorama or display or something about the white racist backlash against the end of slavery or against the end of segregation, illegal segregation in the United States, then do a display that's, you know, like 15 feet long and, you know, that has a bunch of pictures in it. We don't need to be putting 25-foot high statues inside museums. Museum space is way too valuable. The day Trump was briefed on Russian bounties, by the way, he was more interested in a play about the deep state. This is mind-boggling. Uh, today is the day that the Gang of Eight are set to be briefed. Well, they just were, actually. It turns out that the day that Donald Trump got briefed, the one day that we know of, February 27th, the one day that we know that he actually got briefed about, you know, the Russian bounties, the only things that were on his schedule for that day, other than getting briefed about the Russian bounties, because we know that on the February 27th, that was part of his presidential daily briefing, the other things that were on his schedule, he spent the morning talking with the lead actors in a play about the love notes between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. Honest to God. Trump met with the actors starring in an off-off-off-Broadway production of FBI Lovebirds Undercovers. He was so fascinated by the topic that the meeting ran three times longer than it was scheduled. In the afternoon, Trump called in the press to see Diamond and Silk, along with a collection of, quote, Trump-friendly African-American media personalities, end quote, who described Donald Trump as, quote, the best president since Abraham Lincoln, end quote. And that was his day. That was his day. This is nuts. This is just absolutely nuts. Randy in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Randy, what's up? I voted for Trump, and other than my ex-wife, probably the biggest mistake I ever made in my life. I think November 3rd is is obviously the answer. The problem is Mm -hmm. 
this guy doesn't want to leave office, and I think, unfortunately, I can't believe that this actually deserves attention, but it is possible that he may not want to leave office. And I've always told my friends, this would come down to who the military decides they what side they want to be on. And I, I'm just yeah. trying to get your take on this. What do, you, what do you think? I mean, is this real? I think it's a legitimate concern, Randy. And interestingly, there was a poll that was just reported over at 536 or, you know, one of those websites that if Trump loses in 2020, the Republican Party will renominate him in 2024, that that's the sentiment of the base. This is how deeply he, this love for Trump, this cult worship of Trump has been anchored in people who are regular viewers of Fox News. We'll see what the next four years bring. But um, this is a question that Bill Maher and I have been bringing up over and over and over again over the last year or two. He says he's not going to leave. He has, you know, he has repeatedly said it. He hasn't asserted he won't leave if he loses. Instead, what he has said is if he loses, it'll be the result of fraud, which kind of implies that he won't leave. So, you know, I am hopeful that the Democratic Party and their lawyers and whatnot have some plans for this in the individual states. But we could be wandering into uncharted territory. This guy is as unpredictable and weird and dismissive of law as was Andrew Jackson. In fact, more so. I mean, Andrew Jackson defied the Supreme Court twice. The Supreme Court told him he couldn't shut down the second bank. He did. They told him he couldn't do the Trail of Tears. He did. He said, you know, Roger Taney, who was then the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, has made his decision. Let him enforce it. Even if this went to the Supreme Court, will Trump say, you know, okay, John Roberts made his decision. Let's see if he enforces it. I just, I don't have an easy answer for it, Randy, and I'm very concerned about it. Bill in Orlando, Florida. Hey, Bill, you wanted to tell us about your experience of Franco? Yes. I was there in 1972 at the time. I think he was sickly. I was in Madrid. He was already sort of a joke. Most people didn't want to talk about him. He had established what's called the Valley of the Fallen, which was supposed to be mausoleum for all of the Republican soldiers who had died during the uh, Spanish Civil War. When democracy returned to Spain a couple of years ago, I guess, I read that in October 2019, his body was exhumed from the mausoleum and buried at a family plot about 30, 35 miles away. One of the things that the prime minister of Spain indicated was that, and I'm paraphrasing, we can't be honoring a dictator like Franco now that we're a democracy. So there is hope. Uh, If we can last long enough, we can go ahead and try to recover from any damage that uh, fascism does. So I just wanted to share. Well, look at the thousands of people who died in the Spanish Civil War and all the people of Franco imprisoned and tortured. I mean, he wasn't quite as brutal toward the end, you know, in the 60s and 70s, but certainly through the 30s and 40s, his rule was Stalin esque, was it not? Oh, it was. He was already in disgrace towards the end of his life. I think basically. The average Spaniard was probably just hoping he would just depart the scene so they could go ahead and rebuild their country. That's the feedback I received when I was there in 72. took them another 30, 40 years, but they finally went ahead and rejected him. And the final insult, I guess, to his legacy was actually having it exhumed and taken out of the mausoleum and sent away to a family plot so that they could just forget about him. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. Mark in Cosa Mesa, California. Hey, Mark, what's up? I always go on the premise that Trump just cares about himself, Trump, and and money and power. He doesn't really care about our health. He's not worried about people coming across the border and hurting us. 
but the cages. And we need to look into whether Trump is invested in these private for-profit prison companies that are getting 700 bucks a day to keep children in cages. He's getting the money somehow. What's in it for me is what Trump says. He's getting that money somehow. But the cages, they aren't going to go away. Whoever's making money and Trump making money on the $700 a day per person per cage, this could all lead to really a monstrosity. Like They could be used for left-wing, political, peaceful rallies. Use those buses, gather them up, put them in the cages, $700 a day per person waiting for their yeah. time in court. And, and this is what happened in Germany in the 30s, in the mid-30s. They started arresting, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, they didn't start arresting Jews. They started arresting trade unionists and people who were members of the Communist Party. That's where it started. I'm not connected with anybody for this intelligence. I'm 74 years old. I'm housebound. I have way too much time to think. We could someday have people come to our doors. People that are bad-mouthing Trump and other things on Facebook mm -hmm. can be taken away, $700 a day, waiting for day court. It can come to that. Watch what you post. Is that what you're saying? We're living in a country where we can but we have to maintain it. Trump, he sees these things we say. He sees cartoons, and he sees what we say, and he tries not to. Mm -hmm. He tries to, to listen to people that, that just tell him how great he is, but part of what he does in life is get even. If he has control of Facebook, then, then uh, he can start getting even with people somehow. I agree. I agree, Mark, and it concerns me tremendously because I'm probably at the top of that pile or among the people at the top of that pile that he would want to come after. I haven't let it shut me up, but it does wake me up in the middle of the night occasionally. Mark, thank you for the call. Jim in Boise, Idaho. Hey, Jim, Rico statues? Could you explain a little bit of it and then tell me if you think that there's some correlation between it and the, the whole Republican Party? Yeah, back in the 60s, there was this real problem. Uh, prior to 1961, J. Edgar Hoover, who was mobbed up, he was being blackmailed by Santos Traficante and Carlos Marcello. They knew that he was gay, and Clyde and he used to go down to Hialeah every year, and Traficante would give him money to gamble and bring him male prostitutes and things like that. He was denying that there was such a thing as organized crime in the United States. The peak of prosecution of the mafia was, I believe, 13 people in one year during the 50s and 60s when J. Edgar Hoover was head of the FBI. Bobby Kennedy came in as attorney general in January of 1961, and that year, 1961, there were over 700 prosecutions of the mob. One of the ways that they did this is they got, and, and I'm not sure exactly when this legislation was passed, so the timeline may not line up perfectly, but they passed this piece of legislation called the Racketeering Influence Corrupt Practices Act, RICO, Racketeering Influence Corrupt Organization, excuse me, oh, right. for organizations. And it was specifically designed to target the mafia because the mafia was operating in ways where people wouldn't actually literally say, go kill Ralph. They would say things, you know, because he's a bad guy, he's a turncoat. They would say things like, gee, uh, you know, uh, maybe Ralph will stumble on the sidewalk or, you know, whatever. I mean, they, 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 right. they talked in code, they, be, they behaved in, you know, the, the ways that Michael Cohen says Donald Trump does. And so what exactly. this act did was basically gave police agencies a set of tools to go after the mafia. And they did. 
And RICO, the RICO laws were used very effectively against the mob throughout the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, or at least the very early 80s. And I'm not sure if they still are now or not. And, you know, but the mob largely had their back broken as a result of those efforts that Bobby Kennedy started. Those laws are still on the books. The problem with using those laws against people like Donald Trump or you know, people in his administration or businesses associated with him is that those laws were so tightly written, so clearly targeted, specifically to the Italian mafia, that right. they've had a problem in some cases using them against things like gangs, you know, which are arguably operating like mafia organizations. And yeah. it's a real challenge to use them against government officials. What we need is a 21st century version of the RICO laws that can be used against corrupt politicians and against billionaires and, and corporations that corrupt those politicians. But I'm not holding my breath. That would have to get through the Senate, you know, with Mitch McConnell in it. But it's yeah. the kind of thing that I think we should be pushing for if we get control of the House, Senate and the White House in November. Wasn't Frank Church part of that investigation or not? Yes. Oh, he absolutely was. Uh, the Senator Frank Church. He's from Idaho. He's one of the better politicians. Idaho. Yeah, that, I was going to say, I thought he was from Idaho and you're from Boise. You know, I thought he was from Idaho. I almost said Utah, too. Uh, in any case, they were called the Church Committee Investigations. He was the senator who was looking into all that stuff that Nixon was doing. So, yes, Frank Church was a real hero in this. George in Portland. Hey, George, what's up? Hi, Tom. I'm feeling like uh, the grift and the lies and the corruption and the corporate takeover of our government is so complete at this point that the Republican Party is actually really proud of it. They're they're openly mm -hmm. throwing it in our faces. And if they can own the libs, I think that's more important than the Constitution to the electorate. It's all about owning the libs. It's, it's a game. They've made a blood sport out of it. Mitch McConnell obviously had a hand in that. To your theory about the election, I feel like there's quite a bit of time between now and then for, for a lot of people to die. And, and, you know, despite the fact that, you know, Republican voters are going to either die or lose loved ones, you know, I, I wonder if they're going to start to realize that they've been had. Yeah, we're two and a half months since the first deaths here in the United States, and we're at 100,000 or will be shortly. I'm thinking by the end of the year, we're going to at least be at a quarter million and we might be at a half million, depending on how extensively this whole, you know, open the country back up thing goes. And the Republicans are bragging about their corruption. You had, you know, Mitch McConnell in, in the Senate saying, oh, you know, if, if, uh, if, if something happens to one of the Supreme Court justices, we'll replace them, you know. Whereas four years ago, five years ago, it was like, oh, we can't do that in the last year of a presidency. You know, you just can't do that. Kelly Loeffler dumping her stock and her husband dumping his stock. I mean, this looks like it actually echoed out beyond both her and Richard Burr. There may be other members of Congress, same thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Hey, she gave us a million dollar contribution. There's another story over on Raw Story right now about how one of the uh, uh, this guy owns a small company. He gives Trump a big contribution and suddenly he gets a multi-million dollar no-bid contract. And, you know, no-bid contracts, you get to make as much as you want to make. So, I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. George, thanks for the call. Raymond in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Raymond, what's up? I think history is going to be kind to Donald Trump if he wins the election because the victor gets to write the history and history is just well, a that, set was, of that was Bill of Barr's everybody point. agrees. If he wins, then as we, you said before, it's game over for America and our democracy. 
Yeah. But if he loses, then we get to write the history, and then we can we will put the facts and the truth out. Although, Raymond, I mean, think back to the 1980s. Ronald Reagan was not a particularly popular president through much of his presidency. He had two major recessions. He had the largest stock market crash since 1929. He had major corruption scandals. It Mm. it came out toward the end of his presidency that he had been involved in the the whole Iran-Contra scandal that was clearly um, a felony, uh, clearly illegal impeachable offenses. And what happened was after he went into, you know, Alzheimer retirement, uh, just vanished from the public view, a group of billionaires got together and created this thing called the Reagan Legacy Project. And they have now erected a statue to Reagan or named a, a major building after Reagan in every single county in the United States and every single country in the world. And they have been working aggressively, you know, I mean, rewriting Wikipedia, rewriting history so that, you know, Reagan's history, the, the bad sides of Reagan's history are largely ignored. So I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off again. It, it's troubling. Raymond, thank you for the call. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 